People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Fine Music Radio and Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. You will know that the opera by Donizetti, Les d'Amore, is going to open at Theatre on the Bay on the 13th of October this week. And with me in the studio is the music director of that opera, Portuguese-born pianist Jose Diaz, a regular presence in all major concert halls and art festivals in South Africa. In recent seasons, international performances have taken him to Portugal, Mozambique, Israel, Switzerland, Belgium, Austria, and including extensive tours of the Netherlands and Germany. And he's appeared in those great halls, the Berliner Philharmonie, Munching Philharmonic, the Beethoven Halle in Bonn, Baden-Baden's Festspielhaus, among many, many others. He's in high demand as a soloist, chamber musician and vocal accompanist, and is also a sought-after piano teacher, and does singing and choral conducting division. Jose, that's a lot. Welcome, first of all. Welcome to Fine Music <laughs> Radio and to People of Note. Thank you, Rodney. It's a pleasure to be here. It sounds, as just said when you came to the studio, I've sort of suddenly become very aware of your name. I know you've been around for a while, but you really are doing a lot lately, aren't you, which I presume makes you very happy. Yes, I must say I can't complain. Having been a freelancer for so many years, well, it's really just when I came back to South Africa from my postgraduate studies, I was full-time at Cape Town Opera for four years, and ever since... For a while, I did quite a lot of work at UCT, but I am basically a freelancer. And mm-hmm. it's, I think it's really a huge privilege to be able to say that um, I've always had work. It and even when COVID struck and oh, really? you know, stole all of our income, um, yeah. I, I seem to very naturally receive interest on, on teaching. And uh, so I'm teaching more than what I used to mm-hmm. um, because it kind of restricts scheduling a little bit. But... We manage, we make do, and I'm really, yeah, I'm very happy. And I was rather startled when, again, when you came in and had a little chat, uh, that you live in Pal, so you do a fair amount of traveling. I do a lot of traveling. I've always done, first I lived in Somerset West, and my work is normally either in Cape Town or in Stellenbosch. So I'm, I love the commute. I've been commuting for many years. You now. love the commute? I do. Yeah, wow. it's my, I call it my office hours. <laughs> okay, in your car? In my car. I do a lot of illegal cell phone use. which I probably shouldn't be saying on radio. But uh, it is the time when I can uh, deal with some messaging. Uh, I do use voice notes. Please, the audience mustn't now look out for me in the road. I'm very safe. Uh Never had an accident. (laughs) Um, But it also gives me time to be on my own and think and mm-hmm. plan certain things, have ideas. Uh, I listen to some music, obviously. Yeah. But how long does it take to drive from Pal to Cape Town, assuming you're not stuck in traffic? About 45 minutes. Okay, so that's not too bad. No. And then to Stellenbosch? Uh, 35. Okay. Yeah. With a different route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, it is. if you like commuting, then that's great to do that. But yeah. 45 minutes there and back is quite a lot. And you also are a little bit of an ambassador for PAL, aren't you? Because I was rather rude about PAL, and it's no, <laughs> temperatures too hot in summer. But you say it's really becoming quite a quite the spot. Yeah, PAL is hot. We can't take that away from it. And um, I just don't think it's that, that much different from Stellenbosch or any other of the Wineland country, you mm-hmm. know, Franschhoek. Um, 
But it's so beautiful. I mean, the whole valley between Paul and Franschuk is probably one of the most beautiful places in the world. So, and we can see there's a lot of interest in Paul at the moment. So, yeah. I think oh. it's it's really a destination to look out for. Okay. And and people who are especially since covid what we say now semi-migrating, right? Going mm-hmm. out of the big city, they're really choosing Paul. So is Paul filling up then? Oh yes. What did you say about it being a new Constantia? I have been telling my <laughs> friends that it Paul is the new Constantia. You realize that this is going out on air and you <laughs> might uh, it'll yeah, be well, interesting what response you get. The new you might have to stretch your signal to Paul very soon. Okay. Look, we're talking about all these things, but what I want to know is the opera uh, Lizia de More, Donizetti's really delightful opera, um, is being arranged for piano without the orchestra, and you are playing the piano. So, my first question is, who did the uh, transcription? So, I'm using um, a, a normal vocal, sc- what we call a vocal score. Mm-hmm. So, for rehearsal of operas or ballets, you always have a piano arrangement. These arrangements are many and plentiful. They've been done by editing houses like Ricordi is a very trustworthy source for the Italian operas. Um, so in the end, the pianist in rehearsal will obviously not play exactly what is written in the vocal score, will do his or her own arrangement, also with knowledge of the orchestral part. Um, and if you're going to perform it, one would expect that you will do most of what is written because you're trying to do justice to the orchestral version, whereas in rehearsal, it's sometimes more of a skeleton. So I do my own little bit of arranging certain things mm-hmm. but yeah trying to um, really not be so far from the effect of what the orchestral score would give and does it work <laughs> possibly the wrong person to ask that question because you are going to say yes I can just tell but does it work for the audience do you still get that that sparkle uh, of an opera like Lesia de More from Donizetti look if if you think of how many wonderful concerts you've watched with piano, let's say a, a recital concert of arias or, a, a, you know, that kind of profile concerts that artists do where they sing a lot of works that are originally with orchestral accompaniment. Mm-hmm. And if you think of the delight and joy that it has brought to you as a listener, uh, I don't think this is that much different. I think it maybe takes a few seconds for the audience to get used to, oh, okay, this is what we're going to have. It's not the orchestral sound. And then what happens on stage is so captivating that you're, I think you're stuck and you're grabbed <laughs> by, you know, by the beginning. Um, obviously, it all ends up depending to th- what the performers are doing, whereas it's myself or the singers. If what we're doing works together musically, it's really just a question of sound color that mm. I think you can get used to it very okay. quickly. And you don't have to worry about conductors and things, do you? You just, I mean, basically you are the conductor, conducting from the piano. Right. I, I, the, the term conductor doesn't apply except in a few spots where I really have to show uh, certain things to keep the ensemble together. Most of the time I, I think of myself as the musical director. So I, if you want to say, you know, with, with air quotes, I conduct with the movement of the music, with how I push the lines, with how mm-hmm. I hold lines back, with how I wait for singers, that is then mm-hmm. the equivalent of what a conductor would have done. And but they, they luckily, what is wonderful for this is that they don't have to check in with me visually as much as what they would with a conductor because there's no difficulty in coordinating the piano being one person playing is it. Is the piano on stage? The piano is center stage. Oh, really? Yes. 
That's yeah. so, so the audience gets a good look at my back. <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> and so the singers and all that, and the sets are, d- uh, are around you, are set around you. The set has been designed to work with the piano in the middle, and then there's, uh, I don't want to give away too much, no, but don't, there's don't, two don't. sets of stairs or stairways that go around the piano, and the action then happens all around the piano, upstairs and downstairs and in front. Yeah. Okay. It's really an inventive set, really. Wonderful. And you're of all places, I shouldn't say of all places because Peter Turin sponsors our program, but Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay, one never associates with opera. And didn't you say this is the first time? I believe it's, well, it's definitely, I think, the first collaboration with Cape Town Opera. I'm mm-hmm. not completely sure whether there has been operatic work done there before, but I am positive that it won't be the last. It's okay. a lovely space and and. For more intimate productions, we call our production what they would also call a bonsai production. So it is a big opera done at a small scale. Uh, I think it's perfect for it. And sound and all that would be well because we it is a theater. We actually went. I went with Martelian Manard, the artistic director of Cape Town Opera, and we had a little bit of a site visit to check what. And um, first of all, the venue is small enough that sound doesn't really ever become a problem. Uh, and we were surprised at how lively it actually is. We mm. thought it was uh, completely dry to suit, you know, amplification yes. yeah, and all yeah. of that. Yeah. And the singers enjoy singing there. Are they happy with We haven't been there. Oh, you haven't been there? So we've spent <laughs> the last two weeks on tour. Yes. Oh, that's right. You've we been were, on tour. We, we were in Ermelo and in Sasselberg. And we have now a kind of week off. We will have a, a, a clean-up rehearsal later in this week, and then we move into the theatre next week. Oh, right, okay. Let's have some music. I'm intrigued what you're going to choose, Jose. Uh, Beethoven first, tell me about your first choice. Rodney, this is one of the most difficult questions I've ever been posed, saying four <laughs> favourite pieces of music. If you work in music, I don't think you can actually say that. I really struggled. So I thought... Let me then go back to things that have played an important role, I think, in my life. And this is how I came up with four choices. And and they are all kind of uh, related also to the performers in them. So the first, I guess the first you have on your selection is um, the fourth movement of the Sixth Symphony of Beethoven, played by um, the Berlin Philharmonic, conducted by Karian. This is one of the famous sets of mm-hmm. the f- complete uh, Beethoven symphonies that he did. And the reason why it's on this list is um, the following. I used to hate music as a young child. So my parents (laughs) would play Madonna and Queen and all these lovely, you know, 80s hits. Mm. And I was apparently known for going out of the room and go and do something else. And because um, you didn't even like that, I didn't music. enjoy that. Okay, I really didn't enjoy that, and I never. I only thought of this much later, and kind of draw, drew my conclusions of it. And then one day, my dad showed me this box that he had of LPs. Obviously, you know, I'm sh- disclosing my age here. <laughs> um, a box of LPs that had the Nine Symphonies uh, by the Berlinfell and Karajan, and he put it on, and something must have. And I was quite young, maybe ten years old or oh. nine years old. And something must have intrigued me because it is the one set of vinyl or or LPs that I remember going on my own to pick it up and try out the record player and play with all of that. And I remember loving particularly the Sixth Symphony. As a child, I think it's the obvious thing that will attract you because it has titles and it has descriptions. Mm. And uh, I definitely remember the storm scene being (laughs) the one that probably had the first impact. Yeah. 
That's the dramatic storm, which actually forms the fourth movement of Beethoven's pastoral symphony. His otherwise gentle, serene wander through the countryside. And suddenly we have this alpine storm, which Beethoven was able to create so magnificently within the orchestra. So an unusual choice of my guest, Jose Diaz. Thanks, Jose, because it makes you realize just how that sort of music could appeal to a young person, as you said, with those titles of the movements. And that recording with Herbert von Karajan in the Berlin Philharmonic. Well, yes, I'm talking to Jose Diaz, who, as you've heard, is the music director of Donizetti's opera Les Ea d'Amore, which opens on Thursday the 13th at the Theatre on the Bay. And, Jose, apart from we were talking about the fact that it's arranged on the stage for the choir around it, and you use the word bonsai, is the how have you pulled it back? Not vocally. Is there still the chorus and all that sort of thing? We do. We have pulled it back. So the 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 reason for this bonsai setup is also so that it can tour around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cape Opera has received quite a generous grant from the Judith Nielsen Foundation, and this uh, involves taking opera outside of Cape Town, um, up north and wherever uh, it can be received in in South Africa. And um, so, obviously, the greatest problem would be the expense that it would be to travel with an orchestra and the full chorus. Mm-hmm. So we have six singers who are mostly from Cape Town Opera Chorus, um, who then function as our chorus. But, uh, and, and sound-wise, they are wonderful. They all sing with solo techniques, so they have massive uh, sound as a group. Uh, you won't miss the chorus, I think, in any way. But... It also gives us a chance to have six extra characters in the story rather than a mass of people. And I think that gives it a wonderful dynamic that people will not have seen before. Is it set in the period? It's not been modernized? No, it's set in a kind of magical world uh, that (laughs) Magdalene has devised with a lot of... Science and uh, I don't want to say too much about the set design, but it is inspired by um, Escher and those pictures where stairs kind of melt into other stairs, into other stairs. It's this labyrinthic kind of world that yes. I think is, suits... A sort of optical illusion exactly. almost that you exactly. get those stairs. Oh, yes. right, okay. And it's a delightful opera to do that sort of thing with it because, I mean, the opera itself is so enchanting and likable. Yeah, and it's. I don't want this to sound bad at all. It's quite a generic story that can then be put into different... Um, clothings, if you if you may. Right, yeah. right, okay. And um, just let's move away from uh, the opera just at the moment. But you you said Beethoven brought you into music when you were ten years old, and then did you then just go whoosh into the world of music? No, it took a few more years. I I really cannot place exactly that that moment where I got interested in this orchestral sound rather than in the pop sounds that I was running away from. But um, I might have been around nine or ten. My first piano lesson was at age 12, which is very late for a pianist. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, My parents had tried to convince me to do lessons earlier, and I was just not keen. Were they musical at all? Your father sounds like him. My father is very musical, Mm -hmm. but had no training. But he can sing beautifully. Um, Also, from my mother's side, there's music. um, But no one really um, trained. Mm -hmm. So it was... I guess if there were, I might have gone into it much earlier because of that. But it took a while. It took me, I think, seeing my other friends play piano at a 
I don't know what it was, a music academy concert or something like that, to think, oh, this looks like fun. <laughs> Maybe I would give it a try. And then oh, once I started, it went quite fast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then okay. I got hooked up very fast. And when did you get hooked into the world of vocal music and opera? Because you are noted as a vocal accompanist uh, in this opera, for example. So the love was there quite early. Um, already when I came to Stellenbosch to study, I was very involved with singers and accompanying a lot of singers in, in art song um, and, and chamber music and things like that. I've always enjoyed working with other people, making music with other people. Um, then I, in my postgraduate studies, same thing. But I think it was really uh, my decision to come back to South Africa coincided with there being a job uh, vacancy at Cape Town Opera for a repetiteur and vocal coach which I luckily got, and um, from then on it became a big part of my professional life. Do you sing at all? I wouldn't on stage, but I do <laughs> sing when I coach singers, yes. Oh, okay. okay. Maybe so, one day I will on stage. Oh, really? So there's, a, there's potential? I think we all have potential. This is what I try to also uh, teach or, or pass on. It's really a question of releasing bad muscles. It's the same with piano playing. We all mm -hmm. have dexterity. It's a question of finding which are the helpful muscles and which are the ones we should switch off. Okay. And then also, I, I read here choral conducting at the University of Stellenbosch. So, uh, so choral conducting is very different, isn't it, from yes, orchestral I don't, conducting? Yes, I don't teach choral conducting. I work in the choral conducting division. Ah, so it says here, working with the singing and choral conducting division. Right, right. So, for instance, in the singing <coughs> division, I do languages for singers and I coach the singers. In the choral conducting division, I do uh, what we call score reduction or score reading, which teaches choral conductors or conductors, orchestral conductors as well, to reduce large scores onto the piano so they are able to learn them and work with them um, on the keyboard. Yeah, that's quite complicated, I would have thought, especially if you are using a big score. I don't know how big you mean, whether it's Marley you're talking about or Brahms. We start with four-part scores a normal chorus uh, SATV score yeah. and then we try to stretch them as far as we can in the undergraduate um, course to oh. or full orchestral scores My yeah, but there's a lot of, remember there's a lot of the choral conducting students that have no keyboard skills so that also is kind of a two-in-one where I help them develop keyboard skills as we go along just in not to become a pianist but just to, to be able learn to, to be able to to produce the, the score minimally so that they can show their choir members uh, what they would like them to do. Okay. We're going to have another music break now. Chopin's Nocturne, Opus 9, Number 1, played by Maria Joao Pires. I wonder if this has anything to do with the Portuguese link. Of course it has <laughs> something <laughs> to do with the Portuguese link. <laughs> right. What's, is there a reason? Is there a so, long story so this about is, this? This is probably even more than the Beethoven. The, the CD or the performance or the connection with the musician that has really led me onto this road. Uh, when I was around that age, 12, 13, Maria Jean Peters brought out this double CD, which I still consider as one of the most beautiful recordings of classical music ever made. And it was unusually quite a top um, hit in Portugal. There, were, there was even a music video for this first nocturne. And th the choice is just because the first nocturne is iconic. I can't choose a favorite or it's definitely not the first nocturne, it, although as gorgeous as it is. But... Her playing is to me so natural and so elegant. It's, it's very informed, but in, at the end it just feels simple. Uh, that I feel 
suits this music, suits any music that she ends up playing. So I've, I have been, I've never had the privilege of having lessons with Maria Jean Peters. I met her briefly, uh, but she's kind of a role model that has played a very important mm. uh, part in my development. She's had an, a fantastic career. She's had a kind of um, renaissance recently mm, in the last absolutely. 10, 15 years. Yeah, and someone yeah. has obviously helped her also onto social media. So she has a big exposure online. Um, but the, the musician has always been the same. And, and she, uh, she's, just, she's got a depth that I, I find rare in many other successful pianists.
the Portuguese pianist Maria Joao Pires there playing Chopin's first nocturne, Opus 9, number 1, and another choice of my guest, the Portuguese-born pianist José Dias. José, did you ever see a video clip where Maria Joao Pires was playing at lunchtime concert in the Concertgebouw, and they started, and it was a wrong concerto. Did you see that? Yes, clip? I did. I did. Um, there was obviously a misunderstanding um, between conductor and um, soloist. I, I don't know the act. Do you know the actual story? As far as I gathered, she was uh, convinced by her manager or scheduling person that she was going to play a certain concerto. Uh, I can't remember the number exactly. And then once she arrived, and it's those those typical concerts where the lunch hour is kind of an open dress rehearsal for the evening concert. Mm -hmm. So she was literally performing in front of an audience, yes. the same way that the Cape Town Philharmonic does. But there's no pre-rehearsal. Right. And when she arrived, um, and they literally started playing the first bars of the D minor concerto, she jumped up and, <laughs> and had a kind of small panic attack. Yeah. I remember she was sitting, shaking her head on the piano. Right. But she did it. Well, just according to 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 Shai, I think was, was he was Shai was conducting. Yeah, uh, he says she played it perfectly. But yeah. I mean, it is a piece that is in her repertoire and she performs often. But still, it's it comes small, a bit of a no blow. small feat. Yeah, <laughs> no. but as we said, she's had a, a remarkable career, and I do like her Chopin playing. So that was a bit of a treat. Actually. That is a compliment. Well, yes, because Coming as you know, we won't go there again. <laughs> Jose Dios is my guest for a number of reasons, one of them being he's the music director of the opera Les Ires de More, which is being performed at the Theatre on the Bay with piano accompaniment starting this Thursday, the 13th of October. And so I want to just um, go back a little bit and find out, you've, we, we reached the point where you got your first bits of music and became, went to Varsin and then have become involved now with... Um, a lot of vocal work, but you've also arranged things. There's a whole list here of things that you've done where you have worked with groups on touring productions especially, and do you enjoy the whole touring thing? Because Elysia is touring, as you said, isn't it? Right. Um, I, I do. I enjoy tu touring. can be tiring. Mm. Um, some of the tours that I've done in Europe, for instance, with Cape Town Opera's um, productions of African Angels have been uh, really grueling is the right word because we say we go to Germany and we do an extensive tour we would perform one night in Berlin and then travel the next morning to Hamburg and then travel and perform and travel the next morning to Baden-Baden sometimes as far as six seven hours of, of traveling mm. um, not ideal is it for it's an not ideal at all and it's a, a, a tribute and a testament to the power of the South African singers and the South African performers. There's really a willingness to go the extra mile and to not be difficult or too, you know, f fine about things. Um, and, and I must say, those teams always gave the, the utmost, even in the most, you know, difficult conditions. Um, and, and the reaction we would always get was... I guess the reward mm. that we would always go after. Oh, of course. Yeah. You were very complimentary there about the singers at Cape Town Opera. And we are blessed, aren't we, with extraordinary talent. As we know, famously, singers have gone overseas. And it's funny that we always think of Pretty Ended. And we, but right. there's so many others that have gone and made a name for himself. Just the other week, I was interviewing Levi Secundjala, right. um, who's having a spectacular career. But it's interesting to hear that you're not having to deal with with egos all the time, that these people love music and love performing. 
definitely well even with pretty it's mm. definitely not the case she's the most genuine wonderful person and as you say there's no there's probably no south african singer that has wider exposure and and exactly uh, uh, lauded career put our name on the map yes very much so um but it does go from person to person but if you've reached a point where your craft and your art if you want to use that overused word is so engaging to the audiences it can't be coming from a place of false uh, you know what i mean yes a false ego yes it, yes it, it, it's the prima donna thing it, you can very easily spot that in the work itself mm. and then i will rather not be involved <laughs> if possible i try i really i try my best to are you nice to work with i hope so oh. i I, th okay. i think so <laughs> i think i'm i'm if i'm in the if i'm in the place of the musical director i think i'm quite picky and quite demanding in a in a gentle way mm -hmm. but i do think that i can feel people very naturally so i can uh, work with different people in different ways if uh, that makes any sense it does make that, sense, that, has, yeah, that yeah. comes also from a a, a a way of of teaching that has always come natural to me that oh, his coaching teaching. and teaching because yeah. teaching doesn't necessarily come naturally to a musician does it there are those that can teach and there are those that can't i guess i think those that can't have decided that they don't want oh, to exactly. and that they can't <laughs> Fair because okay. why would you not want to share something you love so deeply with other people mm -hmm. why would you not want to so i as a, as a as a pianist or as a young musician i had a lot of obstacles due to my late start or to things that i didn't understand or my you know my mental disposition or physical disposition and my desire or my passion has always been to help younger people not have to go through that and kind of unlock what they can do what they want to do much sooner or much easier than what mm. i felt was my journey yeah, and to give them the confidence to do that Absolutely, as well yeah. confidence in themselves but people also say that if you do struggle and you kind of overcome certain struggles then you become a better teacher because you know how it feels to struggle <laughs> right, so i guess you can that makes say, sense doesn't you can it? say that that might help yeah okay and when you know just going back to working within the singing and choral conducting divisions you spoke about um, coaching singers are you good with languages then can you help with french and italian and german and portuguese i dare say so that was i guess the reason why cape town opera first allowed me to come and work at Cape Town Opera. So oh. I can speak seven languages. Oh my. And that was fluently fluently. Good yes. grief, Jose. And um Which are please tell me what they are. <laughs> so Portuguese. Oh, Portuguese. Let's start with the mother tongue, Portuguese, English, Afrikaans, French, Italian, Spanish, German. And I try my best at is it closer but <laughs> it's going slow. But at least you try. I'm trying. Yeah, thing. and I've okay. started I've started using this um nice app on my phone to learn a little bit of Russian because it's oh, always really? been frustrating not to be able to help singers in, in the, Russian in the yeah. Russian repertoire yeah, yeah. gosh and those are very different languages as well when you talk about those European languages and then Russian and how are you with the uh, countries like um, Romania the Slavic countries what I think I'm trying to think of so so Romania would be a little bit easier probably because yes, of, the, the of the of the Latin origins but the others they're very difficult i guess if you have for instance um it took me a while to understand dutch which is strange because mm -hmm. i could already speak afrikaans really well and i would hear dutch and not understand a thing but then after a few tours of the netherlands 
I can now follow it perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of associating, okay, this sound equates to that sound in, in you know, in Afrikaans or, or Dutch. Um, and I guess it's the same if you have a nice root, if you, if you have a nice control of Germanic roots, some of the Scandinavian languages are approachable, but for the Slavic countries it's difficult. And I'm hoping that with a Russian, a little mm-hmm. bit of Russian It'll knowledge, open it will you. open that yeah. a bit. Gosh, I try to learn German and I've never succeeded because I have good friends in Berlin that mm. I visit regularly and because I love a lot of the German repertoire like Wagner. Right. And I would love to be able to speak German. I also like German. It's a nice sounding language. Once someone asked me what is because of this whole talk of the seven languages, what is my favorite language? And I I had never been asked the question and what the thing that came out first and faster was German. Oh really? When it's spoken for instance with a Berlin accent with a very clean Hochdeutsch kind of accent. Hochdeutsch, I yeah. really love it. Yeah. I find it wonderfully complicated. It's like the, <laughs> they always sound like they're saying very complicated things and actually it's, it's quite not, simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pity, isn't it, that so many American films made German sound that guttural sound and then when you're in Germany you never hear that. Right. It's very, right. very soft. As right. you say, the Hoch. I think Hamburg as well has right. a lovely right. um, beautiful accent. Yeah, yeah. I, I lived two years in Switzerland. That is something else. Swiss German and the southern southern Bavarian Near Bavaria, German. that's right. That that's I right. don't find very pretty. <laughs> no, it's not. But the Hochdeutsch is. Okay, Maria Callas. Oh, dear. Now, I Am I stepping on your no, toes the not whole at all, time? Not at all. <laughs> I was teasing. The end of Act 2 of La Traviata, Verdi's La Traviata, the legendary Lisbon recording. Right. There's, there's the, the reason, right? Very yes. clear. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, I think my uh, entry point into opera was Traviata. Uh-huh. It wasn't necessarily this recording, but it it was a recording that was shown to me by a family member, and I obviously listened to it, and uh, my interest woke up for this way of singing and the, the idea that there's a story going on behind this sound and this singing and a drama. Uh, and then I got to know this recording and all the legend around it and... and um, got to know Carlos better and I really I still stand my ground that there's no other singing actor like her. Piangi, 
talked about an extraordinary voice, an extraordinary actress, Maria Callas there, uh, singing the end of Act 2 of Verdi's La Traviata, and that, the legendary Lisbon recording. We have a few Portuguese links here on the program because my guest is a Portuguese-born pianist, José Dias, ensconced here in Cape Town. When did you come to South Africa? Were you born and grew up in Portugal? Yes, my whole family is still in Portugal. Uh, the story is that in my last uh, year of high school, I met Luís Magalhães. Oh, yes, yes. Hus- Whom we know. Uh, ex-husband of Nina Schumann, and I met her as well, naturally. And they kind of convinced me to study music, never mind coming to South Africa, because I was in two minds, having started late, whether I should pursue it, whether I should just go into languages, which was a clear other... Mm-hmm. Um, oh, was that a possibility as, as a career? Yes. Well, I guess you could go into academics with languages yeah, or of course, something like that. Of course. And they then invited me to come here uh, for a month, I think. The, the, the school year ended in about July in Portugal, mm-hmm. and I had the time to make a decision. So I came here and I enjoyed Stellenbosch so much that I stayed actually for three months with then the decision to come back in February to start my BMAS. Okay. Oh, so you did your BMAS in Stellenbosch here? BMAS and Honours, which was then four years in total. Okay. And then did you immediately go to Cape Town Opera? No, then from there onwards, I I went to Switzerland, to Zurich, for two years of postgrad. Oh, okay. Still as a a solo pianist, as I say, the, the opera connection really only started when I took the job at Cape Town Opera. Okay, okay. Yeah. And you never ever wanted to go back to Portugal? Um, the problem is, I mean, I, I would love to go back to Portugal tomorrow mm. because my family's there and I do love the country. Um, but professionally, because I studied here and then came back to work here, um, I'm kind of established here. Yeah, this is where are. most of my work happens and oh, I've gone sure. away with work as well. But um, it would be starting over from scratch, going mm-hmm. back to Portugal. Mm-hmm. And it's a very small country with a lot of musicians. I would rather use South Africa as my very happy base. Oh, good. As long as you're happy. And, and very, in Paul. very much so. <laughs> yes, exactly. I see we're going to sneak in another piece of music quickly. And you've got Stephen Sondheim here. That's a little unexpected, is it, or not? Um, I want to say no, because okay. we're all multifaceted <laughs> human beings. But... I have to uh, put in a caveat. I used to hate musical theater. I thought musical theater was simplistic and um, really, you know, cotton candy mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. And I actually have to thank my very good friend, Adrian Fuchs, who used to work here. And yes, we remember him well. Yeah, wonderful yeah. Um, programs and podcasts and his programs on uh, the musical theater legends mm. uh, actually started started me on on that. And once I get, once my curiosity gets tickled by something, then I I'm one of those people that falls into the rabbit hole and just keeps <laughs> researching. <laughs> oh, yes. And that made me discover um, particularly Sondheim. I think Sondheim has a very unique place, not just in musical theater, but in music history and and in theater music history. Uh, and I think the marriage of his incredible talent for lyrics and mm-hmm. for words mm-hmm. with his musical talent is just... So what are we actually going to hear? So my favorite Sondheim show is Company. Mm-hmm. I think it was a total game changer for the musical theater when it was first made. And um, when they when they gave the Nobel Prize to Bob Dylan, I was upset for many reasons. <laughs> Not that anyone should care about how I feel. But one of them was... If you read through one of Sondheim, not this excerpt I chose, but if you read through some of Sondheim's lyrics, you feel 
that he gets at things that we all go through in very unexpected but very poignant, very deep ways. And this is a comical excerpt. It's one of my favorite moments in company. But if you listen to the words very carefully, and they go by fast, so you have to really point your ears, uh, you will see how much is packed into this music. Someone to hold you too close Someone to hurt you too deep Someone to sit in your chair To ruin your sleep That's true, but there's more than that Come on, you're onto something, Bobby You're onto something Someone to need you too much Someone to know you too well Someone to pull you up short To put you through hell You see what you look for, you know You're not a kid anymore, Robbie I don't think you'll ever be a kid again, kiddo Hey, buddy, don't be afraid that it won't be perfect The only thing to be afraid of really is that it won't be Don't stop now, keep going Someone you have to let in Someone whose feelings you spare Someone who, like it or not, will want you to share A little, a lot And what does all that mean? Robert, how do you know so much about it when you've never been there? Add him up, Bobby, add him up Someone to crown you with love Someone to force you to care Someone to make you come through Who'll always be there As frightened as you Of being alive Being alive Being alive Being alive Blow out the candles, Robert And make a wish Want something. Want something. Somebody hold me too close. Somebody hurt me too deep. Somebody sit in my chair and ruin my sleep and make me aware of being alive. Alive. Somebody need me too much Somebody know me too well Somebody pull me up short And put me through hell And give me support For being alive Make me alive Make me alive
Somebody force me to care Somebody make me come through I'll always be there As frightened as you To help us survive Being Stephen Sondheim there. You could drive a person crazy from his musical called Company, the original Broadway cast, and another of the choices of my guest, the Portuguese-born pianist Jose Diaz. Jose, we've run out of time, more or less. Um, but just a quick reminder to people that Theatre on the Bay is the venue for Lucia de More, which opens on Thursday the 13th, and which promises to be quite a fascinating uh, production, as you've let on here and there. But what's next, Jose? Because obviously you're still going to be quite busy. Does this tour anymore, or what are your immediate plans, just briefly? So, f- as pertains to Elysir, we have already toured. We went mm-hmm. to Ermelo and Sasselberg in the last uh, two weeks, and there is no set uh, future plan for the production, but I do know that Martelian and Captain Opera uh, want to make use of these bonsai productions in a much more sustainable, yeah. productive way. That's the whole, uh, I think, vision that she's bringing into the company along with Alex Gabriel, the managing director. So uh, I think this is an ideal production for young people to introduce young very people to so the theatre. Yeah. It's a very um, romantic but also very funny opera, particularly with the angle that she's put onto it. It is hilarious. And I think uh, both, you know, the older audience and the younger audience will love it. So I do think there's a future for it. Um, but even before Elysir, uh, on, on Monday and on Tuesday, I have two shows at Wordfierce in Stellenbosch. The first one on Monday being with um, Bridget Rennie Salonen and Malik Andlovu, the poet, and Jackie Job, the dancer. The production is called Poem, where we mix music making with movement and uh, poetry, uh, sometimes on the spot, sometimes, you know, rare. So it's really a bit of an experimental um, hour with, with all sorts of creative arts. And then the following day, on the Tuesday, uh, in the afternoon at 4 o'clock, I have also a very special creative idea with my long-standing partner in, in crime, Yanel Fisahi, the soprano. <laughs> We've had a lot of luck presenting our work to audiences, and uh, we now have a show called Pioneer, which fo- follows up on another one we did called Pioneers. And this one is uh, particularly um, focusing on Stefanos Leroux Marais, the composer of Afrikaans art songs. Um, which we plan to uh, record at the end of this year. So it's really a profile recital of his works, and I don't think there's a more suited singer and and person and... Uh, she's she's got this gorgeous way of working with the Afrikaans language that oh. I just think. The and where are these two productions? They're both in the Endler Hall in Stellenbosch on Monday and Tuesday. Yes, uh, it is Monday evening at eight o'clock and Tuesday at four o'clock. Okay, well we have to end there. As much as I'd like to chat, uh, Jose, thank you very much and all the best. Uh, for the your run Theatre on the Bay, La Zeda More from the 13th uh, with the opera there. And thank you. And I'm sure we'll speak to you again sometime. Thank but you, we're Robert. ending on to you with part of the quartet, the Act One quartet of La Zeda. Yeah, I've chosen a, a CD version that is probably not what people would go to. And I wouldn't uh, start it there either. But when I listened to it, something about it captivated me very much. So it's Placido Domingo singing Nemorino uh, with his 
voice that you can immediately hear will be Otello very soon. He was mm -hmm. obviously quite young in this recording. And Ileana Kotruba singing Adina, who is a singer that I've always admired. She has a beautiful kind of small lyrical voice, but um, she makes everything so natural and so bright and so... Um, she makes me always care very much for the characters that she plays. Ah, well, let's listen to this recording. And Jose, thank you. Thank you.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR.